0: Welcome to another Salvation by Grace midweek message. Salvation by Grace is the teaching ministry of Grace Christian Assembly, a Sovereign Grace Fellowship in Smyrna, Tennessee. You'll find us on the internet at salvationbygrace.org. We are currently studying the book of the prophet Jeremiah. So grab your Bible and join the congregation of GCA along with our teaching pastor, Jim McClarty.
1: Tonight is technically the last Wednesday meeting for 2023 here at GCA, at least the last meeting where we'll be doing teaching out of Jeremiah. On December 13th, we are going to have a singing night here where we all just gather sing songs all night. We will continue in Jeremiah on January 3rd. So you all have your holiday season off from your Wednesday nights. So I was sitting and thinking today, because in some ways this being the end of our Wednesday night series for the year, made me kind of reflect and look back over the year, look back over my life and try to figure out the dates when I first started preaching and when was my interim pastorship. And Better than half my life, I've been involved in ministry pursuits. And 33, 34 years now, I have been preaching at least twice a week, sometimes up to five messages a week. And there has been a principle that has guided me through every one of those messages, and it's at the end of the book of Job, so if you want to turn to Job 42, you will see how that is going to tie in with Jeremiah 23. You know the book of Job, after everything that Job went through, his three rather fair-weather friends came to him and tried to persuade him that the reason he was going through the troubles he was going through was because it was obviously something he had done. And, of course, he retained his integrity and kept insisting that it was actually God who did this and that he had not been the rebel. And then, of course... Finally, they break Job, and Job says, well, if God was here right now, I'd ask him questions and he'd answer me, and then God shows up with one of the more chilling questions you find anywhere in the Bible. God shows up and says, who is this that darkens my counsel without knowledge? And then spends a couple chapters saying, where were you when I did absolutely everything? Job ends up saying, well... I've heard about you by the ear, and now I see you, and I abhor myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. And the book wraps up like this, the very end of the book of Job, chapter 42, starting in verse 7. And it came about after the Lord, Yahweh, had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, my wrath is kindled against you. And against your two friends, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now, therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves, and my servant Job will pray for you. For I will accept him so that I may not do with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Naamathite went and did as the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job. Twice in those three verses... God takes the time to say, I'm angry at you because, specifically, you did not say what was right about me. And so that establishes a principle, which is, if you don't say what's right about God, it actually makes him angry. He doesn't just take that in stride. He is actually incensed by. His anger rises up. Here the word is wrath. He is angry against people who will say things about him that are not right. And early on in my preaching career, such as it is, I kept reading that over and over and thinking, well, how do I avoid coming under the wrath of God? How do I avoid saying wrong things about God? And that's when I determined that everything I said was going to have to be right from the Bible. And that's why for all these years here at GCA, all I've done is go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through books of the Bible, so that you get an education in what the Bible actually says, and so that I do not wander off into my own imagination or my own ideas. Well, in Jeremiah 23, last week we looked at the first roughly third of this chapter, which was the prediction that God was going to regather Israel again. When that message went up on the internet, it stirred people up. I heard from a bunch of people, both pro and con. There were people who just couldn't believe that the Bible says that frequently That God is going to be faithful to Israel, and that there is a future for Israel, and that God has made all these covenants with Israel that he plans to keep. People are just incensed by that idea. And then I heard from some of our Jewish listening friends, several of them, who thanked me for the fact that we're willing to say that. And why are we willing to say that? Well, it's because that's what the Bible says. That's right. And if we were to say anything else, we'd be saying things that are not right about God. And that's a scary place to be. I don't want to be in the place where I'm saying things that God didn't say. But then starting at verse 9 and for the rest of chapter 23, it is God speaking about the prophets. Now you may remember that two weeks ago, God concentrated on the kings who he called his shepherds. They were supposed to be the leaders there in Israel. Now you need to remember that in Jeremiah's time, even though there was a writing of the law, it's not as if everybody had a copy of it. The law was laid up along with the Ark of the Covenant and the other holy objects. And so it was the king's job to be well-versed in, to be educated in the law, and then to guide the people according to that law. That law that began with, you'll have no other gods before me, and you won't make any graven images. And then, of course, Israel wandered off into apostasy and chasing other gods And so God here is condemning the nation, going to put them into the Babylonian captivity, and he has spoken very fiercely against the last five kings of Judah. But the kings were responsible to lead the people, to guide them, to judge them in accordance with God's law. They also had prophets and priests. The difference between the prophets and the priests is that the priests would go to God on behalf of the people. They would go and intercede before God, sacrifice to God on behalf of the people. The prophets were supposed to hear from God and then take God's words to the people. The rest of this chapter, which is quite lengthy, is all God saying, you didn't do that. You didn't hear from me. There are all these prophets out there saying, thus says the Lord, when I never said that. In other words, they're saying things that are not right about God. And in Job, the earliest book in the Bible, arguably the earliest book, That principle is laid out, the importance, the necessity of saying what is right about God. And yet, by Jeremiah's time, people were willing to say anything about God. Here, Jeremiah, the genuine prophet, is predicting this time of destruction that's coming on Jerusalem, this time of deportation, this time of judgment from God. All the other prophets apparently collectively say that Jeremiah is wrong. That's not what God is going to do. God is going to bring peace and safety. God is going to continue to protect Jerusalem because that's where he chose to place his name. And Israel, Judah, they are his chosen people. And so there's no way that God could possibly be out to punish us. And so starting in verse 9 of chapter 23 of Jeremiah, this is God's reaction against those prophets who are saying things that are not correct. Now it is going to be really, really difficult for me, because I am of the uh, preaching variety, to read all of this and not apply it to what's going on today. Because God's going to say, you're dreaming dreams, and then you're telling people your dreams as if it's the word of God, and and it's just not And that's going on everywhere today. That's so common today. It's so easy to dial up the TV or the internet and and just see people saying wild things about God, untrue things about God, and then they claim that it is a revelation from God. It is the modern equivalent of God says when God has not said, when God has not spoken. And so... I'm going to try very hard to keep this all in the historic Jeremiah context, but I think it's going to be easy for us all collectively to apply this to the day and age in which we live, and let this be a warning to everybody who stands up and speaks before other people and says, I'm now going to tell you about God. Make sure that you are saying what God says. And don't be saying things out of your own imagination. Don't be making up stuff. Don't claim private revelation. It is just so vitally important from God's perspective that his people, his prophets, say what he says. In other words, we are to think God's thoughts after him and say God's words after him. Now, the modern equivalent of Old Testament prophets in the New Testament, we read about prophets, prophetes is the Greek word, and that idea of prophesy has a couple of different nuances to it. One is to tell things before they actually happen, to foretell the future. That is genuinely what we think of when we say prophecy. But also, it encompasses the idea of telling forth. And so, my favorite definition of that word is to speak under inspiration. If you're speaking under the inspiration of God and his spirit, then some people do have the ability to accurately say what the future is going to be. The book of Jeremiah is going to continue talking about prophets, They were a big problem in Israel, and God's going to say, and you should be fearful. You should do what the prophets say. If they're speaking for me, you should be conscious of what they have to say and then react accordingly. But he says, if they say, thus says the Lord, and I didn't say it, and they tell you what's going to happen and it doesn't happen, you don't have to be afraid of that prophet. So there is a sense in which genuine prophets are to be reverenced, are to be feared, because like Jeremiah bringing the word of God of destruction and judgment, that would certainly cause the people to fear appropriately the judgmental God. And so you can see again why the false prophets are a, a cause for God's anger Because rather than saying things that are fearful about God, they're just sugarcoating God. They're making God more friendly, more approachable, and saying, no, it's fine. No, it's good. It's all peace and safety. You're going to be fine. And there's a lot of that going on today, too. That rather than preaching the whole counsel of God, including the judgment of God, people just saw off those rough edges and just want to say the good things about God. God is the great-grandfather in the sky who wants to give you everything you ever want. Just name it and claim it. So, to speak forward the word of God under inspiration by the Holy Spirit is what genuine prophecy is. Sometimes that includes speaking about future things, but certainly it always means speaking in accordance with what God has said. There is no room within the concept of prophecy or prophet, there's no room for your own thoughts, your own ideas, your own opinions, your own imagination. That just does not exist. The job of a prophet, whether a preacher standing in a pulpit speaking under inspiration, or whether a prophet speaking about God's words and what he's going to do in the future... It all has to be in accordance with what God has genuinely actually said, or else you are just speaking damnation to yourself as you're about to see in this passage. So that's a pretty sober warning Mm -hmm. for anyone who ever speaks to other people, especially in a public setting, and says, okay, this is the word of the Lord. You better make sure it's actually the word of the Lord. Chapter 23, verse 9. This is Jeremiah speaking, as for the prophets, my heart is broken within me, all my bones tremble, I have become like a drunken man, even like a man overcome with wine. So Jeremiah has sang, When I think about the prophets in Israel, when I think about Judah's prophets, it makes me tremble, it breaks my heart, it staggers me to the degree where I look like a drunk man. And why is that? Because of Yahweh and because of his holy words. Okay, there's your first clue. The necessity to always say the words that God once said and then to tremble at them, to shake at them, to be aware of the holiness of God, to keep in mind that high separate otherness of God and recognize that you are serving the great judge and maker of all things. And that it is a necessity that you either say exactly what he said or just shut up because you're placing your own soul in jeopardy. So Jeremiah says, as for the prophets, when I think about them, my heart is broken within me. All my bones tremble. I have become staggered like a drunken man, even like a man overcome with wine because of Yahweh and because of his holy words. For the land is full of adulterers. Now, he may be saying that part of the power of these false prophets is that they have wielded that power over women in order to satisfy their own fleshly urges. He might be saying that. More likely this is the same spiritualized form of adultery as you're going to see in just a moment where the people are worshiping other gods chasing after other gods and forgetting about Yahweh their God. Either way the prophets are deeply in sin. For the land is full of adulterers. For the land mourns Because of the curse, God is cursing the land as he is driving the people out, and now he's going to describe what that curse looks like. The pastures of the wilderness have dried up, and their course is also evil, and their might is not right. So the strength, the power, the authority, the fear that is due to an appropriate prophet is the kind of fear and reverence that these guys are amassing to themselves, and yet he says, it's not right, it's not genuine, you shouldn't fear these guys. They're false prophets, because their course, the way they conduct themselves, the things they say, and the way they draw people to themselves, is all evil. Their intention is wrong. Verse 11, for both prophet and priest are polluted, both those who go to God on behalf of the people and the one who is supposed to hear from God and then tell the people what God has said in response. Both of them have become polluted. And so what's the relationship with the people? Remembering again, as I said at the beginning, they don't have copies of Bibles the way we have. There are only a few books of the Old Testament even written at this point. The law does exist in written form, but people don't have copies of it. And so they're counting on their kings, their prophets, their priests to make it okay between them and a judgeful God. And so then when your prophets and your priests... Are polluted and not doing their job, the common people have no recourse. They have no methodology by which they can be right with God because their representatives, their shepherds, their prophets, their priests have all become evil and polluted. Even in my house, I have found their wickedness. That would be in the temple, in the very place where they're supposed to be doing these sacrifices. Even there they have become wicked and polluted, declares the Lord. And within God's temple, within the holiest place, you would think that would be the one place where there would be the most fear and reverence and the determination to just get it right. And yet that's the very place. That's God's emphasis That it's not just out on the streets, it's not just with the everyday people, but even in my house, in my holy place, where my worship is supposed to be happening through these very people that I chose, through them, there is still nothing but pollution and wickedness. That's how bad it's become. Verse 12. Therefore, their way will be like slippery paths for them. In other words, it's all going to redound to their destruction. They're not going to stand upright. They're going to be taken down. They will be driven away into the gloom and fall down in it. You don't want to hear God say, I'm going to send you to the gloom. When God speaks of gloominess, how gloomy is that? They will be driven away to the gloom and they will fall in it. For I shall surely bring calamity on them in the year of their punishment, declares the Lord. Now, if you're curious when that year of their punishment is going to be, in just a couple verses, Jeremiah is going to make it very specific. So hang with what he's saying here. Verse 13. Now he's going to talk about Samaria, the northern kingdom, the northern ten tribes. Moreover, among the prophets of Samaria, I saw an offensive thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. So even though they were supposed to be prophesying by God saying what God says. Instead, they were leading the people into the worship of these foreign baals, and also among the prophets of Jerusalem. So, so here's the point that God is making. This is what Samaria did. Samaria, I saw this terrible thing that they were doing, where my prophets who were supposed to speak for me were speaking on behalf of foreign gods. And in that way, they are adulterous, and they are wicked, and they are polluted. And then God turns around and says, And you, Jerusalem, who saw what I did to them, you know that I drove them out of their land into the captivity of Assyria. You would think that the people of Jerusalem would then wise up. But verse 14 says, Also among the prophets of Jerusalem, I've seen a horrible thing. So to Samaria, he saw an offensive thing. It was an offense to him. But then Jerusalem should have known better, and the fact that they continued that same practice was just a horrible thing. The committing of adultery and walking in falsehood. And they strengthened the hands of evildoers rather than confronting evildoers, rather than saying, according to the law, you are sinning against God and driving such evildoers out of the company of Israel as they were supposed to do, put them outside the camp. They weren't doing any of that. They were strengthening their hands. They were throwing their lot in with them involved in all kinds of evil, so that no one has turned back from his wickedness. That's what God expected. Okay, if you're wicked, okay, if you're evil, if you're doing wrong, once you're aware of what my expectation and law is, you're supposed to turn from your wickedness. But because the shepherds and because the priests and because the prophets had all become polluted, the people weren't hearing from God. And therefore, They just continued in their wickedness, and they weren't being instructed. They weren't being corrected. All of them have become to me like Sodom, and her inhabitants have become like Gomorrah. And I think we all know how God feels about Sodom and Gomorrah. He destroyed that. Therefore, verse 15, thus says the Lord of hosts, Concerning the prophets, behold, I am going to feed them wormwood and make them drink poisonous water. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, pollution has gone forth into all the land. Because they themselves were polluted, now that pollution has gone out into the land. So God is saying they are responsible for the pollution, for the adultery. That has gone through the whole land, so God holds them individually responsible and says that he is going to poison them. He's going to feed them wormwood and give them poisonous water to drink. If you were to look at Jeremiah 9 and read verses 12 to 16, that is an earlier prediction of God doing this very thing to the prophets. He uses that same language. He's going to feed them on wormwood. And make them drink poisonous waters. This is a very consistent thing that God is saying. Since they are polluted, I will give them polluted things to eat and drink. Verse 16. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. Boy, it's difficult for me not to apply that to the day and age in which we live if there's anybody listening to me anywhere in the whole wide world on the internet, if you hear people saying things that aren't biblical, it doesn't matter if they're standing in a pulpit or if they're leading a big church, so-called. It doesn't matter if they're saying something that is not in league with what the Bible says, with what God himself has said, God himself has told you, don't listen to them. The responsibility is on you. Don't let them continue to pollute you with their own ideas and imaginations and sports analogies and anyway. Why? Because they're leading you into futility. You think they're leading you to heaven. They're not. They're leading you into frustration. They're leading you into nothingness, to futility into just vain imagination and empty ego. They are leading you into futility. They speak a vision of their own imagination, not from the mouth of the Lord. I don't know if you've ever watched TBN, and I certainly don't suggest you do, but there's a whole parade of people on TBN who just say imaginary things and then blame it on the Holy Spirit. There's one guy who always goes, yes, Lord, I'll tell him. Yeah, yeah, okay, Lord, I'll tell him. I'll tell him. He's claiming that he's hearing directly from God and then telling people these things when, if they were saying what God has actually said, God has said, don't listen to that. It's bad for you. It's polluted. Don't listen to it. It is futility because they are speaking out of their own imagination and not from the mouth of the Lord. How many times so far tonight have we seen that same idea? Speak what the Lord says. Don't say what the Lord has not said. It is a very consistent theme in the Bible that if you're going to speak for God, you better say what God says. Even in the book of James in the New Testament, He says, don't be many teachers because you're going to be held to a stricter judgment. God is real strict, real serious about people saying what he said if they're going to claim to speak for him. They speak a vision of their own imagination and not from the mouth of the Lord. And they keep saying to those who despise me The Lord has said, you will have peace. Well, that's the key problem right there. Jeremiah has been telling these people who despise God, he's been telling them, destruction's coming your way. Judgment is coming. You're going to be driven out of your land. You're going to go into servitude in Babylon, and you're going to stay there for 70 years. That's the true, genuine message. That's what God has actually said. But instead, these false prophets are speaking to people who despise Yahweh, made obvious by the fact that they're chasing after other gods and have completely forgotten about him. And those prophets are saying, rather than saying judgment is coming, they're saying, no, you're going to have peace. Everything's good. No, you're good with God. It's fine. You know, the same way that so many preachers these days are dealing with people who are in overt rebellion against God, and yet tell them, well, you know, Jesus loves you. God loves you. It's all good. Don't worry. And yet here's the warning right here that you're not supposed to say those kind of futile, polluted things. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord has said you will have peace. And as for everyone who walks in the stubbornness of his own heart, they say calamity will not come upon you. I mean, again, in so much of the church world, that message of judgment, that message of righteousness, that message of God's holiness is so sadly missing in favor of up, up, up with people. Come on, come to our church. We're going to have a cheerleading rally. Come on. When in fact the message from God is, judgment's coming, you better be in Christ. And that's not what's being said. Instead, people are being told, yes, you're in sin, yes, you're in rebellion, but God doesn't care because he just loves you so much. So they keep saying to those people who clearly, obviously despise God and his word, they say, no, it's all peace and there's not going to be any calamity on you. So verse 18, God says, but who has stood in the council of Yahweh that he should see and hear his word? Who has given heed to his word and listened? This is God's way of saying, I've checked them all. None of you are saying what I say. Which of you ever stood in my counsel and listened to my words and then said what I said? Apparently Jeremiah is the only one who has stood in the counsel of Yahweh that he should see and hear his word. Who has given heed to his word and then listened? Behold, the storm of the Lord has gone forth in wrath. Same thing that God said. To Job's fair weather friends, my wrath is kindled against you because you didn't say what was right about me. Here's God yanking out the wrath word again. The storm of the Lord has gone forth in wrath, even a whirling tempest, and it will swirl down on the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has performed and carried out The purposes of his own heart. And then notice this phrase, in the last days, you will clearly understand it. Okay, so why are people still getting away with not hearing from God, claiming that they have heard from God, tolerating the sin and rebellion of human beings just so that they can get more people into their social club that they call a church? Why do they continue to do that? Well, it's because God has not poured out his wrathful judgment yet. That's right. And so they assume that God's not going to do that. But God himself has just said that the storm of the Lord is going to go forward in wrath like a whirling tempest that's going to swirl down on the head of the wicked and that that's going to happen in the last day. In the last day, you're going to clearly understand it. In the last day, in the day of God's judgment, in the day when this world is burnt up and all the elements of it in preparation for the new heavens and the new earth, there's not going to be anybody, anybody arguing about what they think about God and his judgment. It's going to be obvious to them as they are undergoing it. By the way, that will also be the end of all eschatological arguments. Finally, everybody will be able to go, oh, okay, that's the way it comes out. I get it. Okay, good. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has performed and carried out the purposes of his heart. In the last days, you will clearly understand it. I did not send these prophets, these false prophets. Not only did they not hear from me, I didn't send them. Oh, but they went, but they ran. They couldn't wait to say stuff to you, but I didn't send them. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. Should we apply that to the current day? You know, when I listen to preachers, and I listen to preachers all the time, I listen to sermons every day of my life because I am a student of preaching, and I want to hear what's out there. And when I listen to other preachers, I'm listening for one thing, one thing. It's all I'm listening for. I want to hear the voice of God. I want to hear what God has to say. Tell me God's stuff. But I'm astounded at the amount of comedy going on in the church these days. I'm amazed at the fishing stories and sports analogies. I'm astounded at the social stuff. People reporting on the latest stuff going on in the world. The same stuff that you could hear if you just dialed up Fox News or MSNBC, depending on their particular bent. That's not what people come to church for. People come to church to hear from God. And instead they're being entertained all the way to hell. So God says, I didn't send these people, but they're still there. They're still doing it. They still ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, remember a moment ago, he said, who has stood in my counsel? If they had stood in my counsel... Then they would have announced my words to my people and they would have turned them back from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. So what is the evidence that they have not been in the counsel of God, that they have not heard from God? The very fact that they're not telling sinners that they're sinners. The very fact that they're not telling Jerusalem in this case that they are rebelling against God and breaking his law. And the fact that they're not doing it, and they're saying, well, it's all peace and safety and calamity's never going to come on you. The fact that they're saying that is proof positive that they've never stood in the counsel of God. Because if you ever stand in the real counsel of the real God, like Isaiah does, you're going to fall on your face and say, oh, woe is me. And then you're going to be afraid not to go say what God said. I mean, how much did Paul put up with after Christ was revealed to him? And he had to keep going. He had to keep doing it because he had a genuine reverence for the God that was revealed to him. These people who do not speak like God, who do not warn sinners, these people who just make up their own imaginary stuff, have no fear of God because they've never been in the counsel of God. They don't know God. They're just making stuff Uh, Verse 23, God says, I know it because am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God who is far off? I'm right here. I see you. I know what you're saying. I hear it. Can a man hide himself in hiding places so that I do not see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? declares the Lord. I'm omnipresent. I'm everywhere in the heavens and the earth. And you think I don't know what you're saying? You think I don't know how you're leading my people astray? You think I don't know what you... I know you've never been in my council. And yet here you are running around saying, Thus says the Lord when I did not say, and because I am omnipresent and I am everywhere at once and I do hear it and I do see it, there's no place for you to hide. I'm fully aware and I am going to judge you for it. Verse 25. I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy falsely in my name, saying, I had a dream, I had a dream. How long? In other words, how long is this going to go on? Is there anything in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy falsehood, even the prophets of the deception of their own heart, who intend to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which they relate to one another, just as their fathers forgot my name because of Baal. The ten northern tribes, once they were introduced to the worship of foreign gods and Baals, forgot all about Yahweh. And then Jerusalem should have been wise enough to see that and see God's judgment against that. They should have then recognized their own culpability before God. And instead, these prophets who have never stood with God intend to make people forget my name and instead they give preference to their own dreams to their own imaginations come hear me talk about the stuff I think verse 28 now God is about to say now the prophet, the real prophet, the genuine prophet who has a dream has every right to convey his dream the prophet who has a dream may relate his dream But let him who has my word speak my word in truth. How clear is that command? If you have the word of God, then you speak the word of God. If you're speaking anything other than the word of God, you don't have the word of God. Let him who has my word speak my word in truth. What does straw have to do in common with grain? In other words, these two things are different. False prophets and real prophets are different. False prophets say anything out of their dreams and imaginations. But real prophets say exactly what I said. And they are fearful to say anything but what I have said. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord? And like a hammer which shatters a rock, in other words the word that he gave to Jeremiah, his real word, the genuine word, is a word of destruction and judgment. And yet the false prophets are saying, no it's all good, peace and safety. God's not going to judge you, don't worry about it. And that's like straw, which is inedible, and real grain, which is nutrition. The two have nothing to do with each other. Therefore, Verse 30, therefore behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from each other. Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare, the Lord declares. Behold, I am against those who have prophesied false dreams, declares the Lord and related them, and led my people astray by their falsehoods and their reckless boasting. Yet I did not send them, I did not command them, nor do they furnish this people the slightest benefit, declares the Lord. Shall we apply that? You get up on a Sunday morning, you get yourself dressed, you get the kids ready, you pack them in the car, you go to church. It's a rah, rah, rally. You don't hear anything really from the Bible. Maybe there's one part of a Bible verse taken out of context in order to be the jumping off point for the pastor to talk about any old thing he wants. And here God is saying, if that's what you're involved in, it profits you nothing. I would add, stay in bed. Why do you get up and go do that? Since this does not furnish these people with even the slightest benefit, verse 33 says, Now when this people, or the prophet, or a priest, asks you saying, What is the oracle of God? What is the word of God? What has God actually said? Jeremiah, when they come to you and they say, What are the words of Yahweh? Then you shall say to them, I think this is kind of sarcastic on God's part. You shall say to them, What oracle? The Lord declares, I shall abandon you. If God is abandoning you, He's not going to talk to you anymore. And so if they come and they say, now, after all their rebellion, after chasing their other gods, after all their adulteries, now they come to Jeremiah as the trouble begins, as the judgment starts, and they say, what does God have to say? And Jeremiah's answer is, what, to you? He says that he's abandoned you. That's the oracle of God. That's the hard oracle of God. That's not the peace and safety message. Verse 34, then as for the prophet or the priest or the people who say, the oracle of the Lord, I shall bring punishment upon that man and his household. So the people who then claim, I've heard from God, I have something from God too, I have words from God. Well, if they're not saying exactly what God has said, exactly what Jeremiah is saying, then God says, I will bring punishment on that man And on his whole household. Thus shall each of you say to his neighbor and to his brother. What has the Lord answered? Or what has the Lord spoken? For you will no longer remember the oracle of Yahweh. Because every man's own word will become the oracle. And you have perverted the words of the living God. The Lord of hosts, our God. This is very much like Jesus saying to the Pharisees that you've made the Word of God void by your traditions. You're so busy telling people what you think that they don't know the Word of God. They've completely forgotten the Word of God. What they had heard and once been able to discern of what God actually expected of them, they have forgotten in favor of all the false prophets and false religious teachers who have just told them all kinds of things that God never, ever said. Apply that accordingly. For you will no longer remember the oracle of the Lord, because every man's own word will become the oracle And you have perverted the words of the living God, the Lord of hosts, our God. Thus you will say to that prophet, What has the Lord answered you? And what has the Lord spoken? For if you say the oracle of the Lord, surely thus says the Lord. So if you're saying you've heard from God, And you're telling people you've heard from God when people ask you, what has God said? What has he answered? What has he spoken? And then you of your own imagination say, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what God has said. For if you say the oracle of the Lord, surely this is what God actually says. Because you said this word, the oracle of the Lord, I have also sent to you saying, You shall not say the oracle of the Lord. So if they were genuinely hearing from God, and the people were coming to them and saying, what is God saying? What is God's answer to all this? If they genuinely heard from God, they would say, "Uh, God's not talking to me. But instead, caught up in their own ego and their desire to be respected and feared by other people, Nevertheless, even though they haven't heard from God, they're perfectly willing to say, oh yeah, I'll tell you what God thinks. I'll tell you God's answer. If you say the oracle of the Lord, surely thus says the Lord, because you said the oracle of the Lord, I have also sent to you saying, you shall not say the oracle of the Lord. Therefore, behold, I shall surely forget you. And cast you away from my presence, along with the city which I gave to your fathers. And I will put an everlasting reproach on you, and an everlasting humiliation which will not be forgotten. I would add, and in the last days, you will clearly understand that. Because God who is everlasting, God who is eternal, the only one who can speak of eternality and be the subject matter expert, here uses the terminology of everlasting and eternal to say, I'm going to judge you and put a reproach on you eternally. It's never going to pass. An everlasting humiliation is going to be put on you. And for what? Well, for saying, thus says the Lord, when he didn't say. That should just really make us all shudder. Should make us all very concerned that when we talk to people about God, we should make sure we're saying what God said. God's words can save. God's words convert people. God's words bring actual peace. God's words can do the things your words can never do because you're you, you're not God. And I contend yet again, after doing this for all these years, I contend yet again that there are just way too many people claiming to speak for God who just aren't. Because had they heard from God, they would have much more respect for his word. And it is the lack of respect for the word of God that is a demonstration that they have never truly heard from God. It's really important to know what the word of God is and then to say the word of God. All the word of God. For so many years I have contended that we need to be brave enough to say everything the word of God says. If it says election, we say election. If it says predestination, we say predestination. If it says catching away, we say catching away. If it says future for Israel, we say future for Israel. We have to be brave enough to just stand on the word of God and say everything the word of God says. But we also have to be circumspect enough to be careful not to say what the word of God doesn't say. And believe me, there's enough in the Word of God for us to save for the rest of our lives. We don't need to be making up more stuff. The Word of God is fully sufficient because that's the only Word that saves.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's Salvation by Grace midweek message. We encourage you to visit our website at salvationbygrace.org for books, Q&As, and our ever-expanding archive of audio sermons. And we invite you to join us next time when we gather around the Word and study the sovereign grace of God.